Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Day After podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. I've got Jason Staples and, of course, Buck Sanders with me. I'll go to Buck first and we'll get right into it. Buck, I'm not sure. Uh, I've been watching Carolina football a long time. I'm not sure I've seen a more ridiculous ending to just a – I don't even know what to call it. That that game was uh, some parts great, some parts awful. College rules stink, uh, but Carolina managed to lose a game that they had in the bag at least three times in overtime alone, Buck, but your general observations. Well, I don't know that I can add much to that, Tommy. I mean – it's one of those losses that, you know, some losses you lose a game and, you know, it hurts, you know, you, you feel, you know, disappointed in the outcome. And then there's other games like this for a couple of reasons that make you just want to, you know, yank your television off the wall. Um, number one is Virginia tech. And for those listening to this podcast that don't know, and if you don't know, you must have been living in Norway at the time. Uh, Virginia Tech was like the lead school that was banging the death penalty drum during UNC's uh, NCAA troubles, which lasted a decade. And they did it with some success. You look at some of the players on their team, they, there's a lot, including the guy that started the game at quarterback, Hendon Hooker. Uh, North Carolina guys now, um, how many actual recruiting battles they won uh, in in that uh, their determined effort to uh, torpedo UNC football. I mean that's up for the debate. Debate, but it, they gave it all they had, and and so they rose up during that time period. And and our diehard fans will know this almost to a level of NC State-like hatred uh, during that period of time. So losing to Virginia Tech, number one, is just something that is uh, just sticks in the crawl of every UNC football fan. Um, and, and the fact that they managed to win some of these games that they should have lost. They should have lost last year to UNC, actually. Um, but not being able to get over the hump against Virginia tech is just so frustrating. Take that for number one, number two, they're down this year. They're not the typical Virginia tech team that you see year in and year out. Uh, they have personnel issues. They have quarterback issues. Uh, they, they have, uh, their defense is not at the level that they, typically have they don't have anybody on the defensive line that really scares you to death like they typically do and on even on the back end you know we were talking about this uh earlier you and i and jason that that they don't really have any of those uh fuller guys or you know players like that that they typically have so um add all that up to, you know, North Carolina, you know, three times at least snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. And it's bitter. You know, I mean, uh, I would advise anybody that 
and and this is shooting my own self in the foot here. Stay away from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board for another 24 hours because it's brutal. And you know, I get it. People get upset, and they have every right to be. And especially since in this particular game, North Carolina was their own worst enemy. Yeah, we were uh, watching the game as a family, and when Ruggles was lining up for that kick, I said, uh, "Lord, I hope his folks aren't on the message boards if he if he manages to miss this." And my kids were like, "Why?" And I was like, uh, "You will soon one day understand when you get involved in message board communities or sports in general." And I wasn't wrong. Uh, it didn't take long for uh, some folks on the boards to come through. Uh, Jason, I want to get into the nuts and bolts a little bit, but I'm trying to understand, um, and I want to get your thoughts on how this game ended. Uh, I mean, it reminds me of a great World Cup soccer game that comes down to penalty kicks. And it's not why Carolina lost. We've talked about that already in our short podcast that they've had plenty of opportunities. But two-point conversions to end an epic college football game just seems and when my son actually told me that's the new rule if they ever get to five overtimes I was like that's not good with that quarterback for Virginia Tech but what is why I get the safety player safety issue I guess that's the only reason but why in the world would you make it about a two-yard play a three-yard play at the end of a game like that. It just seems like a cheap way to end the game, no matter how it came out. It's the NCAA. <laughs> is it really is it really worth asking why? I mean, this is you remember those old commercials, why ask why? <laughs> this is really one of those moments where if you're trying to get rhyme or reason out of anything, the NCAA I had to does. unmute myself just so I could. He's right. You know, it's the NCAA. I mean, you're going to get some of the stupidest decisions and, and ways of putting stuff together. It's the NCAA. I mean, have you, have you watched how they, how they do the whole targeting thing? I mean, and the, the way that that is so, uh, unevenly enforced at that. I mean, it's the NCAA. I, I, when it comes to that sort of thing, I, I, I've just stopped trying to figure out the why on that stuff. I do know that it's stupid. I mean, I've thought for a long time that we should go back to a certain point where, like, after let's say three overtimes, just call it a freaking tie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the tie. At a certain point, the two teams are just they're fighting. You know what? Neither team deserves to lose that game at that point. And that's one of those things that's really, that's really, uh, uh, I think, one of the worst things about the, the kind of game we just saw is neither team really deserved to lose that game. And unfortunately, one of them, one of them did. And on one of those, I mean, it's basically like, all right, let's settle this by coin flips. Let's go ahead and get to the center of the field and let's just flip a coin and see which team goes home winner and which team goes home a loser because we can't have a tie because that'd be on American. You know, that's, that's kind of how I feel about this. And again, it's the NCAA. And for some reason we have, we have an allergy to the long standing tradition of ties. I mean, you go back years and years and years and 
actually one of the great I don't I would I, I would say one of the great wins of the first Mac Brown era was a tie. Uh, you know, it's it, it, that that felt like a win at the time. So, uh, to me, there's 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 something to doing it differently. But it's the NCAA. I don't expect them to ever do anything that's actually beneficial unless they're forced legally to do so. So, next question. <laughs> <laughs> but let's uh, let me go ahead and ask the question that uh is all over the message boards and I violated my rule as well, but I said it at the end of the game and I don't usually do this. I got two rules. I don't fuss about play calling and I don't complain about the officials, but the play calling and the last driver regulation and overtime was some serious. What in max own words, if I read lips, what the hell was that? Oh, you read lips well. That's exactly what he asked. (laughs) Fuck your thoughts. I mean, you said in your column it's not about play calling or something to that effect, but it might be in this one. Well, you know, here's the thing, Tommy, um, and and I bet I'll get an amen from Jason on this. Maybe I won't. But anytime you lose a game like this, I mean, without exception, the very first coach and staff member that goes under the bus is the offensive coordinator. It was the offensive coordinator's fault. And it, it, it is a, a rule that I have never seen broken. So, uh, sure, you know, um, had would I have liked to see something different? Sure. Uh, I'd have liked to seen actually what they did to have worked more, you know, and if it had, we wouldn't have been t- we wouldn't be talking about it. So you know those things you can quibble about, and you know uh, you can you know I, I I recall like vividly you know back in the Butch Davis era when we would be watching that offense, and I bet I saw a million if I saw one comment on the Torpit Premium Message Board that said. I can sit in the stands and tell you whether we're going to run or throw the ball and be right 100% of the time. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, one of those things where, uh, you know, naturally the blame can be shifted or, you know, fixed at one point or another. But there are 100 things wrong that went wrong in this game for UNC. And if they'd have fixed any of them, they would have probably won. But I, some comments I've seen, and this is what cracks me up, is that North Carolina threw the ball too much. And I said in my column, that's like being mad at a snake when you pick the snake up off the ground and he bites you. I mean, <laughs> Phil, Longo, Phil Longo is an air raid coach. What word in that phrase it throws you for a loop? Uh, the air part, does that cause you any confusion? I mean, he's an air raid guy. He's going to throw the ball. So, um, you know, that kind of discussion is, you know, meaningless to me. And, uh, you know, people complaining about Javante Williams not getting the ball enough. Michael Carter was just a better running back yesterday. That's why he got two more carries than Javante Williams did. 
Williams, for whatever reason, I don't know if they had schemed him out in particular or were focused on him and, and didn't worry so much about Michael Carter. I don't know how that went down, but you know, he had 11 carries. Michael Carter had 13. Williams had 38 yards. Uh, Michael Carter had 98. I mean, some of it is just, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about it, but uh, being critical of Phil for throwing the ball too much, I mean, what do you expect him to do? He's an air raid coach. Um, So, yeah, I I would have liked to have seen maybe some different play calls. I would have liked to have seen the play calls they made to have actually worked more. So uh, that's where I'm at with the – let me uh, take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt. Of course, johnnytshirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street sponsors for this podcast. Uh, Inside Carolina subscribers, of course, get that 10% off. But what do you get? You get anything and everything North Carolina sports. Basketball, football, baseball, uh, field hockey, tennis, anything. They've got whatever you want to cover your North Carolina needs. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, certainly great in-person customer service. They're alumni owned and operated. They'll help you out, get whatever you want online, same customer service. You get the Johnny T-shirt treatment, go online, buy whatever you need. Shipping's great, gets to your house on time. You got a Duke football game coming up, which by the way, um, we'll have another contest to win some tickets to see that one. But they will get you your gear before that game. Certainly, any basketball needs you need. Basketball season, wow, is just, what, two weeks away, three weeks away. Thank um, God. So, uh, so uh, johnnytshirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, visit them. Um, either way you visit them, you're going to have a great experience getting your Carolina gear. Jason, I, I am going to talk about play calling just a little bit more, and, and I'm going to talk about it in the vein of uh, the two-point conversion thing, and you've been in practices. You know, I'd like to think coaches probably rep four or five two-point conversions all year, um, and then you get into a situation where you've got to run two-point conversions every play, which is another reason that NCAA is just stupid. But when they lined up for the one, um, the first one I guess it was, I said, don't pitch it back to Michael Carter. They've seen that play before, and that's my uneducated look at the schemes and all that. And sure enough, and and the cornerback for them, I think it was their corner, made a good play getting him on the ground. I'm not sure um, about the pursuit or whatever, but a lot of beef is coming at Longo for that, for running the same thing that he's already done once and did with success at least against uh, Miami and South Carolina. And then against Clemson, Clemson guys knew what was coming. It certainly looked like Virginia Tech knew what was coming on both of those plays. Like Buck said, it's great when they work, um, but it's a little tougher for them to work when the opposing defense knows what's coming. Your take on that portion of it before we move on. Well, I'm going to take a minute before we – or actually probably 30 minutes, I don't know, um, before before I get to that one. Uh, going back to the the play calling issue in general, because my general my, my overall view is that you you can't really criticize the play calling and you can't second guess play calling based on results unless you're first guessing 
going in on this is what they need to do. They shouldn't do this. And, you know, a lot of times we get stuck on the one. Well, well, you know, he shouldn't he shouldn't have called that. He should have called something else. Well, why? Well, it didn't work. Well, I, I mean, yeah, you should have called the touchdown play, I guess. Um, you know, that that is a lot of times how that knee jerk reaction goes. That said, there are a couple couple situations where I thought the play calling was poor. Uh, I had the same reaction that Mac did on that final drive. Now, as far as I could tell, uh, Longo, after all of that, shot back something like, well, you know, we're trying to win the drive or win the, win the whole game. Because I think he was concerned that in that situation, they, that, that they were going to turn the ball over. Uh, and with what uh, Virginia Tech was doing coverage-wise and some other things, I think he was trying to protect Howell. But that, that I don't know if I read his lips correctly for that or not. But uh, but that that last drive, I, I in the in regulation, I have less issue with just because again, you're it's it's fairly low odds that you're going to go down the field and, and and score there to begin with. But the the place where I I think I can I can definitely first guess I, I had I I had you know I'm I'm sitting there watching and I'm making comments to myself as I watch is on that on the uh, the two overtimes immediately after what I thought was a great play call on the run play to get third and seven. Now you're down inside the red zone, and you know you got that eight yard eight yard carry from Williams when Virginia Tech was expecting them to throw it. It's a really good counter uh, based on what Virginia Tech was in and Williams was starting to heat up as a runner at that point you could see he was starting to get he was getting stronger and Virginia Tech was wearing down a little bit and I as soon as that play was done I said to my and I actually said this out loud give it to him again because you just saw him go for eight See if that hand's a little bit hot. Worst worst thing that happens is you get stopped. But if all of a sudden he's able to get four, five, six yards, all of a sudden your leverage is different. And I was starting to get worried because it, there were a few near misses that Howell had had. And Virginia Tech was starting to, to zero in in terms of pattern matching on what, what Carolina liked to do. And sure enough, that next throw was very nearly an interception. That was the one that little out uh, that that got undercut. And I'm thinking, man, don't put, don't risk it right now. Just hand that ball off. You're you're actually running it a little bit right now. See, see, I mean, take this and hand it to to uh, to Javante three times, even, or hand it to him on first down there after the eight yard play. And uh, and and I thought they'd have they'd have been been better off. And I thought on the next drive when they got inside the inside the the fifteen once again. They immediately threw on first and second down, despite the fact that they'd run the ball to get there. It's like, oh man, now that you got inside the 15, don't don't stop doing it. Just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. So I did think that there was a little bit of a breakdown there. Just I think they got a little bit too cute. I understand why they're doing it because Virginia Tech is is a tough defense. And once you get inside the 15, it's it's that much harder because the the space is constricted and all that. And honestly, they they did call on that on that smash route on the second of those two drives where I had some complaints. That first play call, even though I didn't like it, 
actually it, it should have scored. I mean, Howell missed the throw, but the, the, the corner route was wide open. He just missed the throw. It's not the easiest throw to make and, and he just missed it. So could have had, it could have had a touchdown there. So, I mean, that's a little bit of first guessing. And, you know, at that point where I, I thought they, I would have taken a little bit of a different approach, but you know, if, if one of them succeeds, it, uh, it succeeds, you know, and, and then you don't have the same complaints. You go, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fine. Um, but when it comes to uh, the two point conversion, I agree with you. I thought they were, it's one of those things. I think they, 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 they kind of used their best bullets early in the season on that. And they haven't added a couple of counters off of those same looks to, give defenses false keys or whatever, I would have thought that they would have come in with a couple better two-pointers customized for what Virginia Tech did, and 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 they just didn't. And I thought I, I thought the same thing as you when they when they lined up and they pitched that out to to Carter. It was like, oh, that why? Why? Why run that there? I mean, of all things, I mean you've 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 been running down here on the prior plays, you, you're giving yourself a better chance, but that's one of those, they better be in the right look and you better, you better do it exactly right. And when they've already seen this, they're less likely to be taken in by that. So why, why do that? So that was my reaction. You know, again, it's easy to second guess, but there was some degree of first guessing on this as well. So I, I think it's fair to fair to criticize a little bit, even though I think the game was well called overall. I mean, there were some really, really good calls that led to some touchdowns, a, a couple easy touchdowns because of the right calls at the right time. And, you know, Virginia Tech is not a bad defense at this stage. They've gotten a lot better over the course of the season, which was what we talked about before this podcast. And so, you know, it's uh, I don't know, it's it, it could it could be it could be better, but it usually could be. And and I thought overall they did a pretty good job. It's just a couple situational ones that you wish you could have back. And I'm sure Longo and and the staff are, you know, kicking themselves and wishing they'd gone with option B in a couple cases, but that's football. It'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall in those coach meetings today and be interesting to hear the press conferences on wind or excuse me, on Monday from the coaches Buck, I do want to talk about some positives uh, on the offensive side. Uh, we'll move to the defense after the break. But, I mean, Daz Newsom was fantastic. and But for one drop, I think Carl Tucker had that big drop in the ball game, which was not surprising to me that he didn't get another chance after that. But uh, I thought Daz Newsom looked really good. Sam Howe, of course, sets the record for freshman quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of good on that side of the ball. Uh, that's sort of been forgotten, I think, a little bit with the way the game ended. But your take on just seeing Howell and Newsom become a thing, uh, I mean, that's that's a good pairing, and North Carolina really takes advantage of those opportunities. Daz Newsom is, is becoming a force now, and you know, I think one of the things that Sam Howell, as well as he's played this year, um, has sort of lacked – is having that one guy that is is he trusts completely, a go-to guy that, yeah, I, I'm going to try to find uh, Daz on this play because I, if I throw it to him, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to catch it. And I think Daz has kind of evolved into that uh, player so far, so that that's all on the good side. Um, 
the thing that, uh, as far as, uh, you know, this relates back to play calling a little bit, but, you know, I thought uh, Phil Longo had the exact right tempo against Clemson, designed for Clemson. And uh, then I thought he had the exact right tempo, a completely different tempo for Georgia Tech. And in this game, I couldn't really see that. I didn't see a real strategy um, for tempo. And obviously what they used did not really work um, because, you know, what you don't want to do is to leave your defense on the field way too long. And one way to modulate that is with tempo. And, you know, in this particular game, I did not think uh, that tempo went wrong. I, I started out with a positive, and it did take me long to lapse into a negative. I apologize, <laughs> but uh, 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 you were asking me about uh, the, the positives. And I think the, the offensive line did okay. I didn't think they were uh, as good in this game as they may have been in some others. Um, and uh, the big thing is, which usually should win the game, is the offense did not turn the ball, ball over. Um, and Virginia Tech turned it over twice. So um, B plus two in the turnover column and still lose the game, that, that's, that's tough there. That's uh, something that should not happen. All right, I'm going to take a short break, come back. We're going to talk about the defensive side of the ball. i got a couple questions for Jason on that end. Uh, You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, the day after podcast, but let's take a short break. We'll be right back. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average of 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. Jason, uh, of course, you're listening to, again, the Inside Carolina Day After Podcast. Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, and myself, Tommy Ashley. Jason, you know, they – well, quarterbacks with legs have given Carolina's defense problems. And I thought Hendon Hooker looked pretty good in his stint. When he gets hurt, my thought is Carolina's going to kick the hell out of Ryan Willis. And they did. But then Virginia Tech brings in Quincy Patterson, who um, is a beast of a player. I mean, physically, he's ridiculous. But a lot of people were upset that Carolina could not stop what they knew was was coming. And I want to talk about that a little bit. But they also criticized, says he couldn't throw. I think he threw, what, 
not sure I'm not looking at stats, but every ball he threw, save maybe one, was on the money, especially the touchdown throw, the one-handed catch in the end zone, and then the and then a couple other throws that may have been broken up. But your take on why Carolina struggled so much to stop basically the Wildcat there. I felt like I was watching Carolina and Baylor from 2015 there at times. Um, I think it's a Jimmy and Joe issue. A lot of people are banging on Bateman's um, scheme on that. But from my perspective, it looked like Carolina just didn't have the horses, especially at linebacker. And I know Chas Surratt had 17 tackles, but I did not see uh, those gaps getting filled maybe like they should uh, to stop that sort of offense from Virginia Tech. Tell me why I'm either right or wrong. No, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I, the, the biggest place where it was a problem is in that stretch that uh, where, where Strobridge went out. There were a couple, a couple drives there late in the game, and one of them was the drive where Patterson had that long run where Strobridge got banged up and was out, and when he was not on the field, they, they had no shot. And then even later, you know, when he came back on the field, they started stiffening up again. But he still, I mean, there's there's a certain point where Strobridge and, and Crawford are gonna are gonna start wearing down after four or five overtimes. And then you've gotta you've gotta have other other guys that can step in and, and, and do that. And they just don't. And and so it's not it's not just linebackers. I mean, yeah, you know, they they had some issues where You've got to have somebody from the second level that 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 fills a little better here or there. But some of it is just that you got the defensive lineman responsible for a gap that gets blocked out just a slight bit too much, and you've got a backer trying to respond to make make sure that that guy's right to get into that gap, and he's just a little late. And you got a two hundred and fifty pound quarterback, you know. So it. Yeah, the, the the personnel situation. I mean, they are they are MacGyvering this on the defensive staff. We've been talking about this for weeks now. That the issue is that defensively, they're having to make it work with bubble gum and duct tape. And you know, at a certain point, you your 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 lack of personnel does get exposed. And the biggest problem is that they just don't have the personnel in the secondary right now to be able to to do some of the things to compensate for what they've what they don't have up front. I mean that's that's the catch 22 that they've got. I mean with Morrison out, with Patrice Renee out, with Wolfolk out, with all those guys on the sideline, well now you've your your weakness has been up front. Then you could kind of depend on being able to say, well, at least that guy, we're, we're gonna we're gonna take our chances with this guy covering this guy because we got to be able to stop the stop the run. We got to be able to focus on handling some of the weakness up here. Well, at least when you're when you're doing that, you can compensate for the weakness that you've got with a strength. But with all those guys on the sideline, now you don't have the strength to compensate for that weakness. <laughs> And, you know, actually, Greg Ross played a pretty good football game. But the problem is that Virginia Tech has a really good group of wide receivers. I mean, again, we've, ta- we've talked about this for a couple of weeks on this podcast, looking, circling this game as a man. If they survive that game, it's, you know, it's going to be tough because Virginia Tech's got some receivers that are going to give that secondary, that banged up secondary problems. And they did. 
And if it weren't for a couple of those big plays made by those receivers, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking especially of that fourth down touchdown in, in the overtime, which is a ballsy call. But you can do that when you feel like your guy is just that good and their, their, their corner can't quite stick with him. Well, that's the situation. And, it, you know, you can say all you want about, oh, they, they, they never threw with, with Patterson. He threw a dime there. And the, when, it, when, when push came to shove, he made a couple throws that, gave, that, that made sure that they were, they were able to win the football game. So that now you have to honor that. And that's what allows them to then go back and run him again. But once Strobridge came back on the field, they struggled to run him with consistency. I mean, they got stops. They forced field goals in those overtimes because they were able to stop the run, limit the run. They were able to force them. You know, he didn't just get five yards at at a time. But eventually, late, you could start to see them starting to fray a little bit by about the fourth or fifth overtime where they were just running out of gas. And then by that that two-point conversion, they just didn't have anything left. I mean, you could see that was a gassed defensive line, defensive front in general. And at some point, that guy's going to get three yards. I mean, it's just if you you do enough two-point conversions that way, you're going to get three yards when that guy, there's going to be a, a little enough of a crease, and he's a big boy. So, you know, it's I thought actually defensively they called a good game. I thought overall they played pretty well as a defense. But they played against a team with some really good wide receivers that were that matched up. They played against a team that matched up with their weaknesses really well. And we talked about that going in, that that was a concern. So that's not a surprise. It's unfortunate. And it, it you know, sucked to watch, but it's, a, it's not a surprise. It, you know, they, like I said, I, I thought they, they did what they could do. And eventually they just didn't make the play they didn't make the plays that they needed to make particularly on offense there were a couple plays that were just left out there that cost them the game offense and special teams yeah jason i, I wanted to follow up a uh, follow up with you because uh in my column today um i was really speculating more than uh making an observation but it, it seemed to me that against georgia tech and against virginia tech we haven't seen the the same sort of mad scientist that we had previously seen uh, from Jay Bateman in some other games, like some of the stuff that you uh, document so well with your video analysis at, at uh, Inside Carolina. And I was wondering if that observation is correct, and is it because if you're constantly trying to protect uh, a corner uh, by giving him, you know, safety help all the time. And, and you've got guys in the game that have not had a tremendous amount of snaps in a lot of cases this year uh, and who weren't your first choice to, to be on the field. Um, does that limit um, what Bateman can do in terms of, some of the stuff that he likes to do uh, in terms of safety blitzes and whatnot um, because because of that factor because you're it doesn't just affect what happens in the secondary in terms of whether the receiver catches the ball or not or whether you know they've got good coverage on him but it also affects what happens up in front of them what the kinds of things that 
that Bateman can do. I don't know if that's a correct observation or not, but it's something I was speculating about this morning. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some truth to that, that you – when you have a full cupboard on defense, the whole panoply of of gadgets that you want to throw in there is available to you because you can isolate this guy and say he's going to win his matchup and now I can take advantage of this. When you can't isolate that guy, then you have you're limited in what other things you can do because well, I know that if I do this and then, you know, try to get my advantage by taking a little because that's defense, right? You have to take a little bit from Peter to pay Paul, and you know Paul, as they would say uh, in in the <laughs> SEC. Um, but that's what you have to do: is you're always saying, "Okay, I can I can have this guy over here helping with this, or I can have him over here helping with." But I can't do both. You've got to make your decisions, and so much of of defensive football is learning how to make it look like you're doing one thing and then doing another and how to make sure that you're anticipating that they're going to do this thing. So I need to make sure that my extra supports here learning that uh, how to support who, who can do what so that you can support those things. Well, the problem is when you start getting more and more weaknesses that add up, you, you end up just, you, you can't take any money from, from, from Peter because Peter's bankrupt and you got, and, and Paul's already, poor so you got some problems so to some extent there's that that you you have to when 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 you're trying to protect your your uh your your defense in certain ways you're you're limited on what you can do on the on the flip side i thought there was more sophistication defensively than uh, than might be appreciated i mean they did a lot but things get simpler for an offense when they're able to just bludgeon you in the running game with a big quarterback i mean that that does simplify things and it forces you defensively to basically commit to, to stopping that. So, you know, I, I thought, I thought they, they, I thought it was a, a typical Jay Bateman coached game. I don't think it was any different really than from what they've, they've done. You're not, you weren't seeing as much in the way of safety blitzes or some of that stuff, but it was, it was what he does. And, you know, at a certain point, the problem is just, you don't have a whole lot of, options that on the table that that look like real good ones you look I've, I've been in games where you look down at that play sheet and you're like nope 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 oh dang what a, we don't have anything on this sheet that's gonna work and that's a bad feeling um and and i don't think they were there but there were it was much more of a situation where they're they're calling okay we got to run this but man we got to execute it or they're gonna they're gonna be able to throw it over top of us and there were there were a lot of those situations in this game where they're they're the duct tape is fraying a little bit. Football seasons are long bye weeks. I think a lot of people expected uh, the bye week to cure all ills. It just doesn't work that way. Imogen Tech took advantage. I, I think Jason, your point about their 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 strengths matched up with Carolina's weaknesses was on point. Um, and games are all about matchups, and it was not a very good one for Carolina. That being said, Carolina had at least three, four chances to just win and couldn't get it done. Buck, I'm going to let you close it. Um, Carolina looks ahead to Duke, and of course, while I'm thinking about Duke, let me tell inside Carolina Premium subscribers, um, you've got a ticket giveaway, another home game. It seems like it's been forever. 
but I need you to go on the message board and click on the thread about the ticket giveaway and enter the code 1888. 19 or excuse me 1888 it's the first year carolina and duke played in football enter the code in the ticket giveaway thread not in the podcast thread you won't be entered if you're on the podcast thread and if you win the tickets you get a chance to sit with uh me and who knows who else is sitting with us um we my children aren't going so it might get rowdy up there or not carolina and duke enter the code 1988 back to the question buck where does Carolina go from here? A lot of people think this is a backbreaker. This is devastating. I just tweeted out something as Jason was talking that I thought about. Butch Davis went four and eight his first year at Carolina. And I want to say six or seven of those games were seven point games, including at least two, maybe three, that it was how in the world did they blow that game and not win that game? They go four and eight. I don't remember, maybe the internet was around but not as intense or the negative voices weren't as loud i don't remember the angst at that point because everybody knew with recruiting and butch davis and all this that everything was going to be okay eventually um, and it was just a building block season i'm not sure why folks or some folks are losing that faith in this season um, because realistically no matter how they've gotten there, they're, they're still trending towards what everybody said this season would be somewhere between five and seven and seven and five. But Buck, in your, your opinion, why does it feel different, at least coming from the hardcore fan base? If you had checked within the uh, first 48 hours of some of those losses uh, back during the Butch Davis era, um, you would have probably found something extremely uh, similar um, to what we're seeing now. Now, uh, there are some differences. One, our message board is bigger now, uh, than it was then, but, uh, more people on it and, and more voices to be heard. And, and I do think that, um, a lot of that angst will dissipate a little bit during the week. There will, you know, pe- more people will, more voices will join in to, the sort of uh, come on, guys, let's let's back off the uh, the you know the hemlock here and not do ourselves in you know before the year is out and and let's just talk for a second about who is it, what person on universe in this universe can accurately forecast anything that's going to happen from this point forward. I mean, you look at yesterday, Miami last seen beating the heck out of uh, Virginia or beating them, loses to Georgia Tech. And who saw that one coming? Duke, who, uh, you know, was also a coastal division contender and still are at two and two, um, got boat raced by Virginia yesterday. That one was shocking. losing, Losing to Miami. Virginia's last scene getting uh, you know smacked over the head by Miami, and then you got Wake Forest in a game nearly as strange or more so than the one we witnessed. Uh, knocks I'm off cursed, Florida man. State. <laughs> yeah, Jason yeah, Stafford I feel cursed. bad for Jason. I, Louisville I, last scene. I'm, 
<laughs> I'm scoring sorry. 62 on Wake Forest. Scores 10 on Clemson. Uh, go ahead. And, uh, <laughs> and also, uh, Duke beat Virginia Tech in Blacksburg by forever. I mean, I saw the yeah, circle I mean, stuck in the Coastal Division is complete, and it's just mid-October. <sighs> Go ahead. Yeah, Jay. I mean, anybody and, that and says – I'm sorry. You know, anybody Go that ahead, says – Go ahead. They we'll, we'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to edit this up, Tommy. No, I'm going to leave Mike. it because it, it's, it's, it is yeah. fitting for a Coastal discussion. Yeah, well, it was a little chaos going on. But uh, if you think about it, who who is it that can actually – get within, you know, an ocean, the Atlantic ocean of predictions, you know, next weekend, who's to say that uh, North Carolina <laughs> won't win out or lose out, you know, I mean, uh, anything can freaking happen. And if you think, you know, you don't know. Uh, so, uh, you know, this game, yes, uh, painful one that North Carolina should have won. But uh, predicting the Coastal, I mean, Virginia looked like world beaters uh, yesterday and nobody um, the weekend before. Georgia Tech beating Miami? Come on, man. I mean, who could see that coming? So, uh, anyway, I just thought I would add that in in terms of what's next for UNC. Nobody knows what's next for UNC or Virginia or Duke or Miami or anybody in the coastal so just want to throw that out there jason get it out i know you had something to say uh i'm not totally calling the jason staples curse but you've had an interesting pairing over the last three years to, to yeah i'm help. sorry i mean I, I i'm sorry to 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 the north carolina fan base because i've clearly brought this suck upon us <laughs> i mean this if you look at i'm the common i'm the common link I'm the common link between these two programs and man, have they tracked each other in so many, I mean, the strangest thing. I mean, how many teams, how many teams this week at any level, do you think iced their own kicker? I know two. And it happens to be the two that I, I cover. <laughs> I, ha I think it's probably two is the correct answer on how many. So, I mean, at a certain point, you start going, well, okay, well, what are the common things? You know what the common things are? It's me. All right, <laughs> I'm so, cursed. Uh, so, uh, we got to figure this out. We, we will figure it out over the course of the week. <laughs> we need some grain offerings, or, I mean, anybody know what the football gods prefer on this? Because we got to get this demon exercised, you know? We need to smoke some sage over the our computers or something. Do something. Well, no, the burn some the sage. No, the problem is that that uh, the Fedora staff didn't even recruit sage. Or otherwise, <laughs> we'd probably be in a better spot. Yeah, both. Yeah, those guys well, they probably. Been... <laughs> yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah, boys. I'm done. I'm done talking now. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm going to wrap it. Again, enter the code 1888 on the ticket giveaway to have a chance to win two tickets courtesy of Inside Carolina and Buck Sanders. Uh, I'm getting out of here. I'm turning it off before my computer goes black. Uh, Jason Staples has been fun. Buck Sanders has always been fun. Uh, appreciate everybody listening to the day after podcast. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And the fact that we managed to laugh a little bit today is uh, spectacular, don't you think? Oh, Lord. Yes, the alternative is much worse. And uh, 
It's too early for that. All right, boys. We'll talk again soon. Later. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.